It's different for black boys, harder for black girls Start your own business venture, thrive in a black world Where you and your homies don't gotta worry about getting fired and facing discrimination We are creators, we don't go begging for placement where we are not wanted And I'ma keep it a hundred youngin', we used to be hunted They had us sitting in zoos, so what you see in the news Is really nothing that's new, they really targeting you You hear me talking to you? Grace and Rosé is brought to you by your hosts, Deja Staten and Christina Alford. Hello. This podcast was created as a way to address the many racial issues that this country, and specifically BIPOC, Black, Indigenous, and people of color, living in this country, have been carrying, confronting, living through, basically from the beginning of our history which we would like to mark our history is from before uh, the United States was was founded with, you know, the indigenous inhabitants who were here long before and were genocided by the predecessors to the U.S. government. So we will be covering history, current events, systemic issues that are affecting all of us. Today. Today. <laughs> so why Rosé, Christina? Rosé, because, well, for all of you who know us, we always have a glass or a bottle or ten. <laughs> okay, that's a lot. That's a lot. But not a lie. But not no. Um, close in hand. Um, and honestly, it's, you know, we'll be covering a lot of heavy issues. These conversations are not easy at all. And it's just a little bit more digestible with a glass of rosé in hand. That it is. So Welcome. Welcome to Insurrection Eve Part 2. We will be giving you some more uh, details, some more hot takes in this uh, second episode covering the January 6th, 2021 insurrection and what has happened since. Where are we now? Um, So we're going to hop right into it. Oh, my goodness. All right. So let's talk about U.S. Attorney Garland. Yeah, A.G. Garland, Merrick Garland. So he held a press conference today mm-hmm. on Insurrection Eve, basically <laughs> going on record saying that it was gonna, he was going to make it his priority to, to defend democracy and protect Americans. Quote, we will defend our democratic institutions from attack. We will protect those who serve the public from violence and threats of violence. And we will protect the cornerstone of our democracy, which is the right of every eligible citizen to cast a vote that counts. Yay, yay, yay. Rah, rah, rah. Thanks. <laughs> Did he say yay, yay, yay? Rah, rah, rah. <laughs> okay, so, so why are you saying that, though? Like, why are you saying, why are you? Because he, he couldn't, he didn't pinpoint. So this is basically addressing January 6th, right? But he's he couldn't pinpoint what the Justice Department was going to do to those who are going to be caught, punished. And those that were responsible for the larger plot to over, basically to overturn the government. Right? So he was like, overturn the election. We're so going to prosecute these people to the best of our ability. And it just so happens that our ability is zero. So, right. so okay, I mean, that's great. Yeah, let's get the QAnon okay. shaman. Let's go get Aunt Sally, who like regrets it now and not going to do Aunt it again. Sally. <laughs> but like, what about like the dudes that actually were organizing which actually drove everybody to which the trap like take a step back like let's like you know go quasi legal on them for a second if this were a drug prosecution right or if this were a conspiracy prosecution which is really what this should be this is a conspiracy to overthrow the government um you would be looking for the big fish you want to know who was setting things in motion and you sure you can find out who that was by looking at lower level players but like it's been a year and we know for a fact and you know this you work in you know public relations you you know how many messages i think like even the firm you worked at did like some research surrounding like how many messages were sent with keywords that said like insurrection and storm the capital and like whatever hundreds and thousands of these messages they knew it was coming and they knew who was saying what how do we have no leads that connect like higher players at this point yeah and that it's like, and is the QAnon shaman and Aunt Sally, are they going to have, you know, connections to the larger plot? I don't think so. I mean, maybe, but like, also like why it's just, it's wild that like, 
we're not also actively pursuing. I mean, I guess we are to some extent, right? Like and by we, I mean the U.S. government. Like, sure. Like the, the House committee is looking into, you know, what's his name? Um, the, the guy who was texting Hannity. Um, they're looking into the people orbiting Trump. Right. But like, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, like, how about we look at Trump? Like, how about that? <laughs> like. But what Garland was saying is that he they need to gather the facts from like these lower level cases to to build up to the the larger cases and larger people involved. And I'm like, I don't know, like maybe, but like I don't I don't see that happening. <laughs> like, like, how about both? How about, how about we both? Right, both. So yeah. Here's what I actually think is happening. Like, despite the fact that Trump, and again, I'm gonna keep saying this because like I don't want people to think that this is a bash of the Republican party. Like as it currently stands, yes, like fuck the Republican party because they're being racist asshats. But Trump for what he has done and what he has not done should be prosecuted. And the only reason he's not being prosecuted is because he has the traditional historical protection, even though it's not legally obligated, of having been the president when these things happened, which historically speaking has been a shield against prosecution, right? The things you do while president, you don't get prosecuted for. If you could, you'd be held responsible for war crimes, right? Like, Obama was out here just droning the fuck out of people. Uh, Trump was doing the same thing. So there's historically been this protection of U.S. presidents um, while they're in office against crimes committed, even when they're impeached, um, even when things like Watergate happen with Nixon. Right. He wasn't criminally prosecuted, um, even though he did like very fucking illegal shit. He directed the, you know, burglary of the democratic you know national committee headquarters um so i i just i think the only reason trump currently is not being prosecuted is he has this thin veil of presidential protection even if it's not legally provided for like in the black letter of constitutional law it's something that we have traditionally not done right but i think merrick garland's thinking about it like I think Merrick Garland is at the fuck around and find out stage of his attorney generalship because people we have to remember here, Merrick Garland and a lot of people like probably remember this name, but don't remember why exactly. He um, was up for a Supreme Court seat when Obama was still in office and he was not given a hearing, um, a hearing that the Republicans promised that they would give. Um, Obama was denied this hearing because he was down to, I don't know, like 280 days of his presidency left or something like that. And Mitch McConnell's bitch ass was like, fuck you. We're not going to even consider him. We're going to hold on um, to this vacant Supreme Court seat and we're going to put whoever we want in place in this seat, right? So Merrick Garland thought he was going to be, become the ninth justice on the Supreme Court. I think this was after Antonin Scalia died. This is before RBG died. Um, and it didn't happen. So Merrick Garland's like already like, fuck y'all. Like, probably like, fuck the Republican Party. Um, and I think he's just like, give me a reason at this point. Um, but that's just my two cents. Like, he's only human. Uh, I don't know. I think there's some dragging of the feet for sure. Yeah, um, we're not. We're never gonna know. But yeah, let's go over some of these numbers. So this is you. Go for it. Yeah. So the FBI has estimated that two thousand people may have been involved in the attack that day. So so far, more than seven hundred people. Two thousand people. That's yeah, like yeah. in like that they think were like in the Capitol building. Like yes. broke into Jesus Christ. That's yes, awful. and this is across all fifty states. So all 50 states. Like y'all are flying out here to break into the Capitol. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All 50 states and uh, mostly white, of course. 700 people have been charged. 150 have pled guilty to misdemeanors. These are the Aunt Sally's who promised that they would never do it again. Right. And just to be clear, misdemeanors are punishable by less than a year. Um, you know, so jail offenses, essentially uh, slap on the wrist. Um, if it's a uh, why am I brain dead right now? Um, a felony. God, I swear I went to law school and took the bar. Um, if it's a felony offense, it's punishable by a year or more, which means prison. Like you you swimming with the big fish. <laughs> like people are going to be fucking with you. So misdemeanors are lesser offenses um, and they can get expunged from um, from your record. So there is like kind of a big, you know, difference. 
And right now, the median prison time has been 45 days. <laughs> I want to pick my computer up and smash it. I'm not going to. <laughs> but I mean, I'm just going to say this. I'm going to say this. I don't support this. I, I don't think this is like logical. But an ex of mine who will not be named, anybody who knows me knows exactly who I'm talking about, got caught with a fuck ton of weed in his car like way back when, when I was in college. And he was looking at like two to 10 years in prison for having like, I think a pound and some change of weed in his car, which is a lot of weed to be fair, but like literally someone with a pound and some change of weed in their car, who's like a large black man um, is facing nearly a decade of prison time. And someone can storm the fucking Capitol and threaten to kill the vice president and gets 45 days. Yep. Make it make sense, Christina. America. (laughs) (laughs) Like why? So again, why? I mean, yes, it's important to go after these people. Yes, 100%. I mean, ideally would have loved to have people on foot. So they're actually being arrested that day because, you know, that was what would happen if black people were there. But this is what we're dealing with. And what about those that were actually trying to stop the vote? Right. Let's talk about Peter Navarro. So Pino Navarro. So he served in the Trump administration as the assistant to the president, director of trade and manufacturing policy and the National Defense Production Act policy coordinator, whatever that means. This dude Mm -hmm. went on Ari Melber the other day. Basically, (laughs) I love Ari Melber. I mean, Ari, stop rapping. I love it. (laughs) So much. I love rap. (laughs) I wanted this is I I definitely like hate added him on Instagram before. I'm like, are you people shut the fuck up? (laughs) Okay, good. Anyways, he basically went on record describing planning a coup. So he quote said the plan was simply this. We had over a hundred congressmen and senators on Capitol Hill ready to implement the sweep. The sweep was simply that. Mm. What does that what does that mean? <laughs> that doesn't mean anything. So basically what uh we're speculating here is that he was staging a coup, which is basically a seizure and removal of a government and its powers. But yes, he went on record the other day saying this with Ari Melbar on MSNBC. So what about what about these guys? So why aren't we? I mean, I guess now we're investigating these guys, but like, can we please put a little bit more emphasis on the larger plot and who's responsible for all this? Well, let me ask you. I'm going to put on my professor hat. Why not these guys, Christina? Why do you think we're not? Peter Navarro and you know all of the others who are high-ranking officials who were very clearly implicated in an insurrection and in a coup attempt and in terrorism to be fair which is treason i mean that's Mm -hmm. treasonous like what they did literally it's treason it's punishable and i do not support this i don't think this is what should be done in terms of punishment punishment but it is punishable by the death penalty at the federal level what they did um i mean treason is the highest crime that you can commit against the u.s government so, I, I mean, why do you think that they're not being pursued? I mean, they're probably very protected by the higher powers, I'm assuming. But, like, why would the higher powers be protecting them? Oh, because they're all white and they... <laughs> so, point one... They, yeah. they want to protect their own. <laughs> they want to protect their own. But also, it's CYA. They're covering their own asses, right? I mean... Right when you trace the lines from Peter Navarro, like you eventually end up at Trump and like people like him and people who might not be Trump, but are really high up in the Republican party. Um, You know, these people, they're all bedfellows. These are all people who are closely related. They're closely connected. And there are certain things that people have just done in politics, regardless of party, right. On both sides of the aisle um, or on neither, depending on how you look at it, that are, 
ultra fucking illegal, um, just like really fucked up shit. And I think probably there's even a lot of Democrats that are like, don't turn too many stones because you know, like there, I think, is very much reticence surrounding, um, you know, like the slippery slope part of this argument. OK, well, if you get him for that, then who like who's the next domino that falls and where does it stop? Where do the dominoes stop falling? I mean, I think it's, you know, a known fact that politicians are notoriously dirty and that the inner circle of the White House, regardless of the president who's in power, does some shit. Um, Like, I think, you know, and that's why you have to think about. I mean, look at even um, uh, Michael Cohen, like look at all of the Trump associates who have like flipped or not flipped. And like what has happened, the smear campaigns, the like threats, the you know, their families being dragged through the mud. I mean, Epstein killing himself in like a supermax. Like it's just there's so much to take into account when we ask ourselves like why or why not why are we pursuing one person or not another um what else does it lead to 700 people have been charged we've had 150 people plead guilty to misdemeanors which is like a lesser offense than a felony lesser time in a lower security facility um median prison time is 45 days 17 scheduled for trial, 300 people stand indicted, which means that there has essentially been enough evidence. I'm air quoting because like enough with indictments is like basically no evidence, but enough evidence to be like, we think you committed this crime. We're going to charge you with it. But they haven't gone to trial and like nothing has really happened yet. Um, So those are the numbers. So moving from that, the numbers and like what Christina just said, like there are people that like, we know, have done some shit that like were very involved in this process that essentially have admitted to like staging a coup who haven't been prosecuted or held accountable in any way. Um, what do we think is going to happen tomorrow, which is <laughs> January 6, 2022? It'll be yesterday, probably, or two days ago by the time you listen to this um, or five years from now. I don't know when you're going to listen to this, but <laughs> who knows? Um, but, you know, what could happen tomorrow and what could happen long term, right? Like years down the road because of the precedent that we are setting by A, what happened on January 6th and B, what our response as a country and a government was to it, right? So I think it's really interesting because people for years, like before Trump got elected through the Trump presidency and post January 6th have been cautioning like restraint with respect to like how long we say the arc of Trump's power and influences, like don't give him too much credit. Like, you know, like, yeah, sure. He got elected, but it was just like a fluke. Like it was, you know, not a big deal. And, oh, it's not that big of a deal. He's not that racist. And like, oh, he doesn't have that much power. Oh, okay. Wait, the Capitol just got stormed. Okay. Well, he's out of office now. Like it's not that big of a deal, but people have kind of started taking this seriously. Now that we've uncovered a lot of what was going on behind the scenes and connected the dots, the Atlantic um, just issued their most recent, like their, I guess, January issue. And there was an article in it by Barton Gelman um, called January 6th was practice. And I'm going to read you a few chunks from the beginning of, of that article that I think are very telling. Um, and, you know, a lot of these were written with reference to constitutional law professors, people who spend their entire life thinking about this stuff and people who were cautioning us not to overreact, who are now like, freak out. Like it's time to freak out, like be scared, be very scared. Um, so here's what we have. Technically the next attempt to overthrow a national election may not qualify as a coup. It will rely on subversion more than violence. Although each will have its place. If the plot succeeds, the ballots cast by American voters will not decide the presidency of 2024. That's in two years. Uh, thousands of votes will be thrown away or millions to produce the required effect. The winner will be declared a loser. The loser will be certified president elect. My first read of this, and I had to read this passage like 10 times, I was like, this is such an overreaction. And then I started thinking about like what's actually been happening um, in the last year and a half in the US, right? So since our election um, ended and votes were tallied and the fighting started counting, you know, like what has happened? Well, we had super ninjas. Is that what they're called in Arizona? The people? (laughs) That's what they're called, right? Like super ninjas or something yes. um, go in some like Republican machine that like doesn't even do vote stuff to recount the Arizona votes. 
they like tried to do the same thing in Wisconsin and in Florida. Um, and like, these are people actually going in private entities to like recount vote tallies that have been tabulated by election officials in the States. Right. So like, we're already seeing the machinations of this happening. Um, this isn't like pie in the sky, like way out there, you know, unbelievable stuff. If you actually think about it. And, you know, to like hone in on this further, the prospect of a democratic collapse is not remote. People with the motive to make it happen are manufacturing the means. Given the opportunity, they will act. They're acting already. And that's what I'm talking about. They're trying to put people in place. They're trying to apply pressure um, to the places that they know they will need to. And this is part of what was meant, I think, by the title of this article, January 6th, was practice, not just the storming of the Capitol, but the attempt to not certify valid election results, the pressure campaign, Trump calling the highest officials in the state of Georgia and saying, well, just find a thousand more votes. Right. Just they're, they're somewhere. Find the votes. Where are the votes? Right. So the idea that like they tried and failed during the 2020 election cycle, 2019, I guess, election cycle and learned, OK, well, this is what we have to do not to fail next time and are putting that in place. Here's the last excerpt from that article. For more than a year now, with tacit and explicit support from their party's national leaders, state Republican operatives have been building an apparatus for election theft. They have noted the points of failure and have taken concrete steps to avoid failure next time. Some of them have rewritten statutes to seize partisan control of decisions about which, about which ballots to count and which to discard which results to certify and which to reject. They're driving out or stripping power from election officials who refused to go along with the plot last November, aiming to replace them with the exponents of the big lie, the big lie being Trump won the election, right? They're fine tuning a legal argument that purports to allow state legislature legislators to override the choice of the voters. And that is exactly what we saw on January 6th, we saw the congressional members of, you know, the federal government apparatus were trying to overthrow it. But when that didn't work, we then saw the trickle down. OK, well, what can they do at the state level? Right. And this was Trump's pressure campaign calling state legislators and saying, yo, just like, don't count those votes. Like, that's not real. That's I mean, it happened in Pennsylvania. It happened in Wisconsin. It happened in Ohio. All the swing states. Um, it happened in Arizona. <laughs> Super ninja people. I mean, it's just it, this article to me was like I had chills when I was reading it because I've very much been like, the, OK, don't overreact. These are just a bunch of idiots. But like, if you really take a step back and look at you know, kind of the arc of the last five years from when Trump started running to now, this all is like a very intentional effort to kind of wrest power from the traditional mechanisms of the U.S. government and put it elsewhere. And, you know, it's interesting, like, I think uh, Trump is a fucking asshat. Um, and the U.S. government is terrible, like on its best day, like regardless of who's in power, whether it's Joe Biden or like Barack Obama or Trump. But like Trump is like the scariest alternative we've seen thus far to like the normal functioning of the normally fucked up U.S. government, which makes it even scarier. Right. Like the idea that some dude, some charismatic dude who's like a reality TV star can come into the U.S. government and say, I don't like how things are running. So like we're just getting to ignore all the rules and rewrite them, that that is a thing that can happen after 200 plus years of like American democracy functioning based on a constitution, it should be terrifying to everybody. And I mean, if you need some, some fear put into your bones, Google like longest living constitutional democracies, don't worry, I'll wait. We have the longest living written constitution in the world, which is sad because it's only a couple hundred years. Um, but when you, when you get the search results, I think you'll be pretty terrified. Look at what has happened in countries where the constitutional democracy, the constitutional monarchy, parliament, whatever has fallen. Look at Myanmar right now. Uh, look at what's going on in India. Yo, like India is a democracy. They're a huge democracy. There's some wild shit happening in India right now. I mean, look at what's happened in so many countries. You know, the former Soviet satellites. You know, we should be scared. We should be very scared um, about the democratic piece of this. And I know we're going to pivot into the race piece of this. Um, in a second, which they're not entirely separate. Our democracy is built on slavery. <laughs> but um, yeah, we should be terrified. 
right now about like what the downstream effects of January 6th, 2021 are. Christina, you look concerned. Nope. Keep going. (laughs) (laughs) I have nothing else to say. Let's talk about some racism because that's what we're here for. We're reeling it back to the whole root of this. Yeah, reel it in. Reeling it in. Lana, play reel it in. Reel it in. I got the bag. Tell a friend. She got some ass. Bring it in. Bitch, I'm the new CNN. Yeah. Reel it in. I got the bag. Christina, taking our podcast to the ratchetest of ratchets. Yes. Okay, so Pete, tell us about, let's take it back to the Capitol, right? So there was a whole bunch of symbolism involved in what happened, both like actual symbolism, Confederate flag, nooses, and just all sorts of fucked up shit. Um, But what about the Capitol itself? Like, what about the Capitol as a symbol, particularly as a symbol um, in you know, stark relief against like what we saw that day with the Confederate flags and with like the super racist shit that was happening. All right. So there's actually a lot of history behind um, the Capitol building that probably a lot of people don't know about within regards to slavery and skilled labor. So um, in 1793, um, D.C. was a little more than a rural landscape. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Rural, 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 rural landscape with dirt roads and a few accommodations beyond a small number of boarding houses. So labor was hard to find. So who do we, who do we get? Who do we hire? Oh, hire. That would imply payment. Yeah, not hire. We acquire slaves and slave laborers um, that were involved in almost every stage of its construction. So here we go back at it with slavery. And you know what? We have the insurrectionists just totally disrespecting. Yeah. Disrespecting the history of the building in so many ways. Right. Like, I mean, it was such like a full circle moment seeing them with Confederate flags, with anti-Semitic shit, with, you know, all the racist symbology, knowing the history of the United States, what it took for us to get to like, even the start of a truly inclusive democracy, which is, to be clear, where I think we are now, the start of an inclusive democracy. Like, this is not a fully inclusive government, but the disrespect to the trials and tribulations of all of the people, some of whom were probably relatives of these people. Like, you white people, you think your Irish relatives were treated like they were white when they got here in, you know, the late 1700s and the early 1800s? Like, no. Like, it's just, it's ridiculous. And also, I mean, just a very long history of enslaved people. Um, and low-income people being used to build the infrastructure of of this country. It's it's sad. Um, and also, you know, seeing afterwards, after the the um, ransacking of the Capitol, the, the black people who work there cleaning the building up, cleaning up the broken glass, sweeping the floors. Right, the black Capitol police officers who were called the N word fifteen or more times uh, in a single day and didn't realize until the end of the day when they sat down with one another um, that that was a shared experience that they were having as black members of the Capitol police force. It's just wow to know that you're standing in this hollowed ground that is the seat of American democracy that was built by the hands of your enslaved ancestors and that you're be calling, being called the same word that they were being called uh, when they were racially disparaged as less than. It's just, how far have we really come? How democratic are we really? And revisiting terrorism, you know, at this point, we said at the beginning, terrorism is defined as the unlawful use of violence to achieve political aims. Was this terrorism? Right. And I asked that kind of tongue in cheek. I mean, these were people who were trying to force political animals, political actors to change um, their votes by violence or threat of violence. Right. By threatening to lynch them. Um, you know, and it's just it's it's wild. We say this um, in, you know, against the backdrop of us pulling out of Afghanistan um, and against the backdrop of people like Marjorie Taylor Greene, who. Yeah, I'm not going to read you what I have in parentheses on my notes here. <laughs> Christina's laughing. <laughs> 
some choice four-letter words. <laughs> How does this all relate back to racism? Well, this all relates back to racism, right? So January 6th was a resurgence, resurgence of hatred. I don't even know if it's a resurgence. No, I mean, it's just like a more visible, like, showing of what was already It was just there. another, it was just served again. Like, it's been serving on a platter for a long time. And there's so many events that have happened over the past three few years that, you know, clearly it's embedded in our nation's original sin, which is slavery. And it's a lot, it's really, really sad that a lot of people didn't see this on January 6th. It was so pervasive that white people were so entitled, so privileged that they thought they had the right to storm the Capitol without any reason or facts really to back their actions. You know, it was just, oh yeah, we have the right, we're going to do this. This is the day. Who cares if there isn't any evidence behind, you know, stealing the vote? Who cares? Oh, you know what I care about? I care about white supremacy. I care about um, racism. And you know what? I'm going to just take all these things. I'm going to take all my posters, all the things, and just present it in the most, I don't even know what, the most what, Deidre? I don't know. Most egregious. Yeah, egregious way possible, I guess I would say. Yeah. Yeah. It wasn't even about stealing the vote at that point. <laughs> I think there were multiple things that were happening, right? Like, so I feel like at all these rallies, they all just take all their beliefs. They all come together and they all just kind of feed off of each other. It's a potluck of hate, right? Right. Like, exactly. Bring your hate, whatever, you know, it's fed by whatever is causing you to hate, bring it here and it's safe. We have a safe home for it at the hate potluck, right? And so it's like you come there for one thing, but then you get everything. <laughs> exactly. Right. You bring one thing, you get it all. You um, get all. You get all the what hate. You style. All that you didn't know. You didn't know that this hateful thing tasted great too. Well, guess what? White supremacy is great if you've never tried it. Um, yeah. I mean, it's, it's interesting because I think that in some ways or in many, I don't know why I'm saying some, in, in so many ways, um, what we've seen over the past six years, and I think this is true of human nature. This has happened historically with genocides and with other things where it's like, how have people been driven to do such terrible, hateful things? Well, when you tap into that seed of human fear of human inadequacy, of self-hatred, self-loathing, of, you know, whatever it might be, you're getting to the core of, of, of human um, instability, of our own inability to acknowledge the fact that, like, we have no idea what the fuck's going on or what we're supposed to be doing here or, you know, what the best way to live is. And when you have all these people who are already really upset about one thing, whether it's the economy not recovering fully or coal mines closing or things that, like, it under it's understandable that they're upset that the industry, their entire town circled around is no longer there, right? The, the huge Ford plant um, in their town shut down and 10,000 people lost their jobs. Like, that makes sense. But you get a whole bunch of people like that who are feeling like the only thing that that connected them to a sense of meaning is gone they're going to latch on to other things that are like yeah and that too right like right. you know and like that's what trump fed people that's what he's still feeding people he's feeding them hate he's feeding them fear he's feeding them a reason for the human condition right like we're all in this and in, in a similar way it's just we're not all looking at this in a similar way like we're all fucked. We're all on this burning planet. <laughs> That's like warming up like at a rate that we can't control. Um, and instead of us, you know, having conversations that are meaningful about what we have in common, we have people who are exceptionally good at playing off of human inadequacy, human insecurity, um, you know, human self-loathing. And that's what you get at these rallies is, oh, you hate black people? Well, you should hate women too. Let me tell you why. Oh, and immigrants, they, they suck too. And also like hate rich people. Yeah, I know I'm one of them, but like you should hate them. I'm not the same as them, but like hate rich people and, and, and hate the government. <laughs> like, so it's just, you know, it's, it's this opportunistic, you know, cesspool of just seething hate and that's really what's at the root of this and i think with january 6th you saw a lot of different things and people manipulating 
people at higher levels of government manipulating that hate, right? Like Trump wanted to still be president and people who had power surrounding Trump still wanted Trump to be president and people in the Republican Party who still wanted the Republican Party to be in control still wanted Trump to be president. And so, oh, you guys who have nothing in common with us other than like you think Trump is representing you want to storm the Capitol and like do our bidding for us, do the dirty work for us. Go for it. We don't care if you're doing it because you're racist, even if that's not what we necessarily believe in. You're keeping us in power. And I think that's what's hard for people to understand is like, this is a lot simpler than it looks on the surface. Like, it's just hate. It's just hate and power. I I, I don't think there's much more to it than that. Hate, power. And guess what? Our country is becoming more mixed, right? (laughs) (laughs) Thank God. (laughs) I mean, thank God if you're not white. <laughs> like, <laughs> that's, that's what I'm saying. Thank God. But yeah. This, I mean, was, this is yeah. some statistics. Yeah. Thing. Um, yeah. I mean, I don't what, what year, but like, you know, what I think it was like 2050. They said like, is the year it tips or 2040? I don't remember. Right. And that scares um, a lot of white people. Of course. I mean, it's scary for them. They're not going to be the majority. Power in this country has always been linked to race because we created race so that power would be linked to it. Right. Like, you know, racism wasn't just like an oops, we're racist. It was like, oh, hey, we need a reason to justify why we're enslaving black people and murdering indigenous people and treating everyone else who's not white as hell and Protestant like shit. Right. And it's because we are going to say that there are morals you know, associated with or linked to the the color of your skin. That was a project. That was intentional. That wasn't like a look what just happened moment. From the very, very beginning. From the very beginning. From the very beginning. And you said earlier, the original sin. I mean, I think we have dual original sins. The original sins were one, genociding indigenous people, which was happening before the enslavement of Africans and the transport of Africans to the Americas, North, Central and South. Um, But then the second parallel original sin, uh, enslavement, right? And we've always been motivated by power. Power has been at the root of all of this, always. Always. What's really scary is that they did it in the name of God. It's only scary if you believe in God, honey. Yes, (laughs) but they were justifying their actions in the name of God. Well, I mean, they kind of had to, right? Like, you can't be like the Portuguese crown going to Africa, stealing a whole bunch of Africans, bringing them back to Africa and being like, oh, we totally believe in in God, um, but also like God told us to to do this. Like, you need like a valid reason. You need to be like human not human or human less human you can't like this you know like they had to square it with their i mean all of them had fucking you know crosses on their colonizing flags (laughs) (laughs) or after the colonizers came and um like the native indigenous people died because they brought all the diseases Mm -hmm. they they explained it as god being in their favor And like natural aptitude or like, like, or like whatever ignorant shit they God, say. Really? This is this is how you're justifying things? Like, no, sir, you're just resistant to syphilis because you're a nasty fuck. <laughs> like, like what? Yeah. It's so gross. It it's is disgusting. Okay, but we digress. Anyways, we digress. All right. Um, so um in the name of racism. <laughs> In the name. How about not in the name of racism? <laughs> How about in the name of anything but racism? Yes. Yeah, so a lot of people were trying to correlate or to um, compare the BLM, BLM protests, protests versus the insurrection. Mm-hmm. And no. The insurrection is not a protest. And was, no. And no. That was not a protest. Basically, to validate the actual January 6th protest would be saying that, yes, the votes, you know, we can we can disrupt this illegal process by confirming that, you know, this was a steal, which it just was not like there was no evidence. There's no truth. There is no facts. And they just did whatever they wanted to 
to storm the Capitol, which, you know, that is not the same as the BLM protests, where it's actually rooted in what? Social justice, addressing the mistreatment of Black people uh, in the United States? Two centuries long history of racism, followed by government sanctioned segregation, followed by mass incarceration. You don't get to storm the Capitol, plant pipe bombs, threaten death to political figures and leaders because you don't like the outcome of an election. It's a little bit different as a member of a historically marginalized or oppressed or minoritized group that has been subject to slavery, land removal, genocide, mass incarceration, rape at the hands of the government, sterilization at the hands of the government, testing of all sorts of different stuff at the hands of the government. It's different to be part of one of those groups and dissatisfied with the result of the elections. It's different to be a person who drives around in your car every day as a black person and gets worried that the next time you get pulled over for having a taillight out or speeding or turning right on a yellow light turned red, that you might get shot. It's a little bit different. If people in response to massive and to grave and sustained and historical violations of their human rights decide to smash a fucking storefront in a neighborhood where they've lived but never been able to afford property because of the historic mounting of racist and segregationist shit, they want to smash a storefront. I don't know. That might be a little bit different than storming the fucking Capitol and threatening to lynch Mike Pence. <laughs> Just saying. Yeah. It's like, show me the last time black or brown people or women even stormed a U.S. government building and threatened to kill people. And people did end up dead. Yeah. You know, like, and I say this because sure, like, yeah, we've gone to, I don't know how many protests we've gone to pay 10, 15, 20, like who, who knows at this point. Um, but you know, there's a difference between us saying, sure, we're I'm not gonna, I grabbed a hammer out of someone's hand and was like, bitch, like, stop. <laughs> like, You don't get to break windows today. You're not even black. Um, but there's a difference between people being so fed up with their state of existence where they are literally having the life snatched out of their hands on a regular basis and watching people like them get quashed um, and someone being pissed because they no longer get the callback in an interview first, just because they're white. Like what, what's so scary to the people who invaded the Capitol on January 6th, what that they might no longer get the benefit of the doubt that their kids too might get pulled over and treated like black people. Is that what you're scared of? Are you scared that your kid might face the same odds as a person of color or an immigrant when they're applying to college? Are you scared about having to compete on equal footing for once for the first time ever? Like, what are you, what are you scared of? You scared if we actually apply merit that you're going to (laughs) lose. So blow up the Capitol. What are you scared of? Because to this point, I haven't heard anything convincing. Make America Great Again, a slogan that you literally took from racists in the 50s. I was talking to my dad about his little the group that he does for his Republican friends. And he was asking them, like, what year or when when was America great? And they were like in the 50s and 60s. Yeah. <laughs> You mean when my dad um, was, was still going to segregated schools? Right, exactly. When, when white kids were throwing rocks at him as he walked home and calling him a nigger? Exactly, uh, exactly. <laughs> I mean, and it's, it's wild because it's not just black people. It's any racial group that is not white and even some groups that are now white, right? Yeah. It, I mean, it's amazing how... Mm-hmm narrow-minded and short-sighted and obvious, painfully obvious, what is wanted is. Give me a list of things that you want that equally applies to all of us, and I'll sit down at the table with you and have a conversation, right? But that's not what you want. You want benefits that apply only to you because of your identity. And if you don't think that Trump and people like him are appealing to you because of who you are and what you look like and because they know you're disaffected and upset at losing access to things that you once had based on your skin color and your gender and your sexual orientation, read some history. 
I mean, this is a play that is as old as time, as old as Andrew Jackson, who is Trump's favorite, right? Like this is the quintessential let's appeal to poor white people who have always been not quite at the bottom, but just above it because of their skin color. And let's see what happens, right? Like they should be offended that they fell for it. And maybe some of them are, maybe that's part of what's happening here, right? Maybe they're realizing just how hoodwinked they were. I just, where's the logic in it? (laughs) Make it make sense, Christina. (laughs) There's no sense. There's no sense. So other crucial issues that have been topics of conversations um, because of January 6th. So one is actually teaching students about what happened, right? So as we all know, the history of education has not been the greatest, right? And we're all kind of unwrapping this over the past, what, year? Which part do you mean, Christina? Do you mean the part where our textbooks that we all were exposed to lied to us? Or do you mean the part of the history of education where like black people weren't allowed to read and write or were like indigenous people were sent to boarding schools and weren't allowed to speak their native language. And then some of them are that, but I'm more sure talking about historically how a a lot of our education has been just kind of whitewashed. Oh, that part. So not the murder of indigenous children and their burial in new boarding schools. Okay, cool. That's a different, that's a different um, episode. episode. (laughs) So a lot of teachers these days, um, have been struggling with how to actually address their students and talk about January 6th, right? And they don't want to be political. They want to keep their jobs. They don't want to rock the boat, right? They want to take a non-biased stance. How do you take a non-biased stance when you talk about January 6th? How do you avoid racial discussions when there are white supremacists? You don't. So- on foot on ground on that day you don't and i don't think discussions of white supremacy and race are political i think people it's literally fact (laughs) and i think that people want to make them political because they don't want to talk about them right um so i asked a friend to be a part of this episode to talk about the terrorism piece she said i can't be a part of the episode i'm back to bar rules like no religion no politics no i forget what the other thing was but you know like there are certain things that we say when we just like don't want to talk about something like that's an inappropriate topic right we say it's political or it's this or it's that it's not political human rights aren't political right it just makes white people uncomfortable so we say it's political there's nothing political about history right it might deal with politics that happen but it's not it has nothing to do with your current political stance you're acknowledging the facts as they exist from the past and so if i'm a teacher right now and i granted i think that what you brought up at the beginning of this like segment of our conversation um people just want to keep their jobs right is valid and that is probably a very good reason for teachers not to talk about this but you know if i were a teacher right now um i would say This has nothing to do with politics. This has to do with how we treat people. And this has to do with history and the historical facts, regardless of what your political affiliation is, are A, B, and C. And what I would do before that, and this is kind of prefacing some other episodes we're going to drop, is I would say, here is a set of tools for thinking critically. Here are the questions you should ask when you're assessing anything that anyone says, whether it's me as your teacher or a news station that you're listening to or what your parents say or what your best friend says or a movie that you watch or a book that you read. Here are the questions you should ask. Here are the 10 questions. Who wrote this? What purpose did they write it for? What's their background? Were they trying to achieve a specific purpose? Right. And then I would say, here are the historical facts. Right. In this year, this happened. This year, that happened. That was never part of our learning experience growing up. No, because there was an agenda. There's we always were that. given as history book, we were giving facts and we were told to memorize all this stuff that actually historically was incorrect or a lot of it was glazed over or completely cut out. Christina. Right? Yes. Can you imagine teaching me history as a child? No. 
just terrorizing all the teachers, literally terrorizing. So, I mean, going back to January 6th, a lot of these teachers are not wanting to address this at all. And historically, that's how we've dealt with history, not addressing anything that has been negative in our history or, oh, ooh, that's not the best look for our country has been completely cut out. Yeah. Does it serve the purpose that we are here for today? Does it paint us in the light that we want to be painted in? Does it fit into the narrative? If not, then bye-bye. We're not going to talk not, about it. No, not going to talk about it. And you know what? You don't, we're not even going to tell you to think critically about it. This is just what it is. That's it. Memorize it. And that's it. Move on. And this has been going on since Jesus. I mean, a lot of the textbooks have been kind of changing, but like, not really. Not really. I mean, teachers have been supplementing textbooks, which are by and large the same across the country. Like the same, like three companies produce most of the textbooks. We have teachers now, some of whom are my friends, like asking tougher questions and who are giving their kids supplemental reading. And some of them are getting in trouble for it. Right. Um, But I think it's important for us to think critically. I think we'd be better as a nation for it. And here's the thing. And I'm going to go like ultra like Alexander L. Young, young P, young Pueblo, uh, you know, what's her name? Uh, Brene Brown on us for a second here. But it's ego. <laughs> like what's happening here is ego. The inability for us as humans, regardless of race, but in the United States, it's mostly a white problem um, to acknowledge our role in pain historically and our benefit from it. It's ego. We don't want to admit that um, we're lacking in something or that, uh, you know, we aren't who we thought we were. Right. We're very concerned with keeping up the facade. Um, And if we say, for example, that the historical narrative that we have been taught, justice and liberty for all, meant justice and liberty for some (laughs) and not others, or justice and liberty for some at the expense of others, that affects our ego. It affects the ego story that we tell ourselves about us and our families our parents think about, you know, P you and I, like we connect deeply over a lot of things, but like soccer, kind of that whole thing, um, growing up kind of straddling racial lines and also like having this really close connection to our dads. Mm -hmm. Right. And imagine someone says to you, well, actually, you know, your dad, uh, was super fucking racist and upheld a gendered racialized system that oppressed or suppress people from X, Y, or Z group. That would feel really shitty for your ego, right? And that's the piece of this that we don't address. We want to look at things as humans through this like ultra historical straight edge, black and white, no feelings lens. And we keep emotions out of it, but we, we can't, we're humans. And also, you can't learn from your mistakes if everything's perfect, right? <laughs> like, not your mistakes to- then, right? <laughs> Yeah, it's just everything's been great this entire time and we have nothing to grow or we have nothing to build upon because everything's just been dandy and it's all a lie. It's all a lie. So, I I mean, I think there needs to be a humanizing of the way that we treat, teach, treat history. I think that if we like had a come to Jesus moment with respect to humans being fucked up and flawed (laughs) and you know, you not necessarily being your ancestor's history, but you being affected by it and your ancestor's history affecting other people and affecting you, um, that would go a long way. But we're not there yet because we're clinging to this idea of a lack of culpability, a lack of... It's bizarre to, like, not talk about these things, right? So my... My if you're brown, if you're brown, it's bizarre. It's, it's, it's bizarre. It, it's yeah. it's absolutely bizarre. So my my dad came to the states for the first time. Uh, my dad's black and Japanese again. Um, he was born in Japan. He came to the states for the first time in the fifties in Kansas, and then he left to go to Germany for a few years, and then came back in the sixties. But when he came back to the states, um, you know. A lot of the a lot of the um, families that he grew up with, they were in internment camps, and 
they never talked about that in the, in his classes, in his history classes. And it's very similar to, you know, kind of just glazing over January 6th. We're like, oh, let's just, you know, let's just not talk about this. When, so, and so much worse, like the fact that right. like this years long policy of, I mean, don't even get me fucking started, but also I just got an idea about your dad's going to have to be a returning guest. On the <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, just totally glossing over it while you're going through it, while you're actually experiencing, you're just not going to talk about these types of things. Well, like, it, it's bizarre. It's bizarre. And the other thing, you know, and I think this is truer of our parents' generation than ours, but like, it's true of, I guess, any generation, if you're first gen, um, the idea that you're not going to talk about this thing that's traumatic for your family that you've lived through or that your family members have lived through in real time, but you're also being forced to assimilate, right? So yeah. you're being forced to assimilate to Americanness. I'm air quoting, um, while also being told that your lived experience as a person who was crushed by Americanness <laughs> is not going to be acknowledged, right? Like you're not American, go to this internment camp while we're fighting concentration camps abroad in Germany. But also afterwards, that didn't happen. It was fine and be more American. Right. Like that is it's, a mind fuck. It's so bizarre. And I just learned this the other night so <laughs> we have a state fair this is going to be i don't think a lot of people in washington know this because i just learned about it but when are we, so we have we have um a washington state fair it used to be called the puyallup fair it's in puyallup it's is that puyallup an indigenous is, tribe it's indigenous yeah so our state fair is basically on their tribal land so the puyallup fairgrounds it's like in like this encampment right and find out that's where the it's where the internment camps were in um just kidding nothing happened here we're gonna have a state fair do you want to so eat some fried oreos state, and watch pigs race our state fair is in the internment camp isn't that crazy it is but like also i think that's true in california too like i think that there are state fairgrounds um multiple places in california where that is also the case like yeah. I'm not doing the Tepialop ever. Like, I don't ever want to go to the fair again. Well, the <laughs> fact that it's an internment camp on indigenous land that was stolen. <laughs> the fact that you stole land from brown people and then interred other brown people. Other brown on people. It and then we're like, let's invite a whole bunch of like white people white to people. It, like, eat deep fried shit is That's nuts. Crazy. It is crazy. But we are going to go and we're going to like carry really wild signs. <laughs> And we'll, we'll have a booth with a DJ and we will just talk about racism. Oh my God. There are um, some levels to nice. all of this. What? Because here's the thing also about like, I guess what we're doing, but also like what it is to exist as like a person of color, a person from like a non-conforming background. Um, once you start digging, you can't stop digging. Right. Mm -hmm. And like each each shovel of shit that you heave over your shoulder, you feel it. And so it, it's, it's already a burden and a weight to exist in like a body like ours or like a body that's even more oppressed than ours. But like, once you start digging, you just start, you, you find out that the fucking state fair is on indigenous land on indigenous land that was used as an internment camp for brown people. Like it's, that's what the history of this country and the history of Western settler colonial nations is, right? It just keeps compounding. It's just it keeps compounding, but it keeps compounding because we won't fucking talk about it. God. If we had real conversations about it, Sally or whoever, like the random non-existent <laughs> white neighbor that you keep referencing is like if we Aunt Sally, Sally, Aunt Sally if we could, I'm, every time you say Aunt Sally, I think Sally Hemings, who wasn't white, who was like Thomas Jefferson's, like you know, God. Um, anyways, um, if we could have these conversations, like these real conversations, where it's like, hey, Aunt Sally, I know like you're not the person who interred people, but did you know this happened? And like it's fucked up that like we carry this burden, we carry this weight around, we think about this, we know about this, we exist as this. Like, hey, can we talk about it? Why can't we just do that? Yeah. That small thing, that small inroad. Why doesn't that happen? I mean, it's just, yeah, we have been. And that's why it's not happening. It's just not much is being done. We talk about a lot. We talk. There's a lot of talk. We talk. We, us. People. Yeah, I'm saying in general. Yeah. But it's not, there aren't a lot of honest conversations that are happening with 
people from the backgrounds that, you know, descended from the oppressors. And mm-hmm. that needs to happen more. You know, like we can't just keep having echo chamber conversations between people of color who are from political, a specific political leaning and expect for there to be change. And I don't think it's our responsibility or like we don't have the power, unfortunately. <laughs> Bitch, don't tempt me with a good time. Helen, <laughs> accepted. Until you become president. Okay. <laughs> No, thank you. But I'll take a cabinet position. Um, anyway, I think you just you you bring a really good perspective and point to this when you tie it back to your parents, to like our own existence. We can talk about this at a 30,000 foot level and talk about what it's like to be a person who is of color or of this certain age or whatever. Looking at what happened on January 6th, looking at a year later, what's going on, yeah. looking at, you know, what this feels like for us. But to connect it to like the lived experience, like of your your forefathers, your actual parents, your, you know, grandmother on both sides, your grandfather on both sides. I mean, like, you know, on your, your family is entirely different than mine, where I have white people on one side who are Swedish and Austrian and were the oppressor. And on the other side, I have black people who were the oppressed, right? Like in your family tree. And I think this is true for so many Americans you have right Filipino, black, Japanese. <laughs> you just have like multiple layers of like fucked up shit. Like it's a fucked up shit cake that is just like like yeah. look what America did today. I it yeah. and I think that's important to contextualize it and make it real. This isn't just like you know, a random disembodied conversation about racism. This is like real people are affected by this, you know, like your dad experienced, you know, shit related to not being able to talk about internment camps. (laughs) Like, I mean, so basically, you know, last things last, um, what needs to happen now? A whole fucking bunch, (laughs) Um, you know, despite the rhetoric, rhetoric from, Biden's administration um, and some members of Congress on both sides. Little Not even that. Biden. It's like multiple. It's like all the administrations. Yeah. Like, you know, well, Trump historically certainly, and, and Biden, like nothing has been done. Right. Um, either legislatively or through executive power to improve a whole bunch of conditions that contributed to what happened on January 6th. So voter suppression, and we've actually moved the needle in the opposite direction with respect to voter suppression. Uh, More laws have been put in place to suppress votes for people of color, people from lower socioeconomic backgrounds, people who might not have access to permanent address, uh, people who, you know, might need to vote um, later at night or earlier in the morning because they have jobs that are, you know, graveyard shift, et cetera. Um, Little has been done to improve economic conditions. You all might have noticed that those COVID relief checks have stopped. Um, Nothing has happened in terms of reparations, whether for slavery of, you know, black people in this country, whether for genocide of indigenous people for country in this country, as we just talked about, you know, there's a lot of focus on Canada right now for the mass graves of indigenous kids sent to um, boarding schools, but the same thing is happening in the U S um, So there's a whole bunch of fucked up, racist, racialized, um, monetized, you know, class history in this country that contributes to to this kind of vortex of hate and fear, Um, the the breeding ground that we need for a January 6th that's not being addressed. And furthermore, we're not addressing what Christina got to, you know, 17 hours ago in the middle of this episode um, of the people at the top who are like moving the, the, the pieces, right? You know, again, I'll use the analogy of the, if this were a drug kingpin prosecution and we were trying to figure out why and how a whole bunch of cocaine um, got in the United States, should we start to uh, prosecute crimes that are committed by white people? Um you wouldn't be looking for low level, uh, you know, people who are are selling eight balls, right? You would be looking for people who are shipping bricks of coke into the United States. Um, and that's not what's happening here. 
right? There is not a focus on that. Uh, and, you know, lastly, just if we were open to, you know, truly confronting the disturbing truth about the divisions in our country, and if U.S. leaders were truly committed to protecting democracy, small d democracy, the thing that, like, we've had going for a really long time in this country, particularly compared to others, um, they need to be bold and they need to be swift. They need to make action steps in addressing this stuff. And they're just not doing it. And one way we know they're not doing that is by not talking about racism, by not talking about white supremacy, by not talking about anti-Semitism, by not talking about the things that were very clearly there with the Camp Auschwitz sweatshirts and the, you know, nooses and the Confederate flags and the, you know, Capitol police officers of color being called the N-word tens of times in the same day. So it's very clear to us, at least that this country gives zero fucks about addressing root causes when it comes to the insurrection. So let's see you here next January 6th talking about like (laughs) insurrection number three. Like, I don't know. Right. Um, Yes. And I mean, yes, U.S. leaders, government officials. And I mean, if you look at who are in those positions, that's also a problem. And these conversations are great and I'm glad that we're having them and we need to have more of them. It's we need to be able to move the needle at those top positions to actually make a difference. Do you want to run for president and vice president? Yes. You can be president. I don't want to. I don't want I don't want to be president. No, maybe we can share vice president and we can put a white man in the presidency and just like act like he's in power. (laughs) Yes. Okay. well. I think that's that's all we got. We could have done this for 32 hours, um, obviously, but we've we were made close. no progress. <laughs> I mean, we could have done this in 32 hours or in two seconds. Like we, we literally could have come out and been like, no progress has been made since January 6, 2021, despite having a new president and like a democratically controlled, you know, Senate. Uh, it's just this is a clusterfuck. It's it's this is stupid so that's where we are we're we're at this is stupid america signing off for the the night i mean that's all i got yeah that's all we got for now peace out bye 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 until next week keep your glasses full and remember that racism is garbage trash (laughs) basura None of this would be possible without the support of our talented team. Big ups to our producers, Lana Shea and Kate Bataille. Thank you so much. And shout out to Coda the Friend for allowing us to use his music. Woop woop. Woop. Bye bye.